What's interesting to me, though, is the fact that Kyle McCord did come in as the experienced guy. He's been on campus, I believe, for three seasons now. Um, it hasn't really been able to pull away in that job. Hello and welcome to Always College Football. We are just eight days away, ladies and gentlemen. From Thanksgiving kicked off with week zero action, next week we're moving into in-season mode just a little bit. Not quite all the way because week zero's matchups aren't insane, but we're going to start previewing some matchups. We're going to start getting you prepared, maybe make a pick or two against the spread and have some fun along the way. I'm Greg McElroy. Thanks so much for being here. We have had so much fun throughout the course of August getting you prepared for the college football season. And you guys have done an amazing job in subscribing. Our numbers have gone up like crazy. Rating the show. I continue to urge you to rate the show wherever you get your podcast. That's awesome. That'd be really, really helpful to us. Our numbers have gone up. They're up 360% in the last month just on ratings alone. So if you can continue to do that, it goes a long way in helping us continue to grow. If you can also, if you're on Apple Podcasts or if you're on one of the other podcast platforms, if you could leave us a review, just say, hey man, great show, really enjoy it. Whatever you want to say, you guys stink, your takes are terrible. Whatever they are, I'm good with that. Just leave us a review. It helps us out. It helps the show out. And then if you could subscribe to the podcast, that would be really beneficial as well. A couple shout outs that we want to get to today. Philip, an LSU fan, sent us an awesome email, man. Lengthy. In detail, we appreciate you, man. Thank you for listening. It uh, means a lot to us. Know that your words mean more than you can even comprehend. We also want to shout out Brandon Bentley at bbentley1981. Great show. Me and my wife love listening. Go Vols. See, I'm, I went to Alabama. We got Tennessee fans that like the show. It's possible, ladies and gentlemen. We can do it. Want to know why? Because we're in it for the greater good. We love the sport. We're going to celebrate the sport every day here on Always College Football. We have a terrific show in store for you today. We have Josh Perry, formerly of the Big Ten Network. Now he's working with NBC and Peacock still on the rally. He's going to join us. It's our Big Ten preview. Going to go through Ohio State. Question marks. Maybe Josh going to indicate who the quarterback might be there for the Buckeyes. Talk a little Michigan. Talk about a dark horse. Is Penn State ready to break through? What about Wisconsin? You know, I'm heavy on the Badgers this year. Josh Perry will help us break down the Big Ten from top to bottom. We'll also take a couple of your questions via the mailbag. We encourage all of you to uh, follow us on social media at alwayscfb or me, Greg McElroy, on Instagram and on Twitter. So you can follow us and submit questions there as well. So we look forward to continuing to interact with you as we get you prepared for the college football season. So without much further ado, he's Josh Perry of NBC Sports. He's back again, ladies and gentlemen. We loved him last year. We're having him back this year. He is our official Big Ten correspondent, and he has new responsibilities this year. Was with the Big Ten Network for a very long time, did a remarkable job. Now he is moving over to the brand new NBC coverage, going to be all day on Peacock, going to be on at night as well around the NBC primetime Big Ten game of the week. It's called NBC Big Ten College Countdown. It's going to be awesome. Todd Blackledge, Noah Eagle will be terrific there. You'll be with Maria Taylor. It's going to be awesome. We can't wait to see him, but he's Joshua Perry. He's former Buckeye legend. How we doing, my friend? 
Doing well. Um, I'm super excited. I know how, how you probably get too, man. You get this close to the football season. You're just ready to go. But uh, it's been a lot of storylines, been a lot of conjecture, and now we get to uh, get to brass tacks and, and start really talking football. Well, we're close. We are very close, but there's still so much we got to figure out. I, I'm looking at – let's just start with Ohio State. <laughs> you know, I mean, we'll get to Michigan. We'll get to the others in a moment. Well, let's start with your expertise a lot of the conversation centered around the quarterback spot based on some of the people I've talked to. Sounds like that battle is actually a little closer than some might have thought coming into the fall. Kyle McCord has done well, but Devin Brown has actually probably exceeded expectations given the fact that he missed some springs. So give us an update with what you know about the quarterback spot. Yeah, I think it's uh, exactly right there that a lot of people thought it was just going to be Kyle McCord's job and Devin Brown maybe could push, but uh, wouldn't really be in the mix there. This thing actually is very, very close. And from the people that I've spoken to, I think that uh, they're confident in in either quarterback's ability to go out there and be successful. I think they're just looking for that consistency out of either one of them. Um, it's a it's a standard that you have to live up to being the, the quarterback at Ohio State. And you look at some of the guys that have been through recently, um, you know, it's a lot to live up to. So I know that the, the coaching staff is pushing them very hard. Um, what's interesting to me, though, is the fact that Kyle McCord did come in as the experienced guy. He's been on campus, I believe, for three seasons now. Um, it hasn't really been able to pull away in that job. And it feels like as this drags out a little bit more, it does start to favor a younger guy in Devin Brown who's got some really good movement skill and athletic ability. Um, so I'm not exactly sure what it's going to come down to. I, you know, every coach likes to say the guy who makes the least mistakes and gives us the best <laughs> chance to win, um, of course. But I, I think it's going to be maybe a little bit more than that when you start to project guys who maybe aren't finished projects going into the season is, is what do you think the top end is really going to be and, and which guy is going to be less of, a, of a, a danger if you kind of put him in those critical situations without all the experience? Well, reason why I was starting to lean, and I'm not saying lean towards Devin Brown, but becoming more open to the idea of him being the guy is my anticipation of this offense maybe being a little bit less pass happy and a little bit more balanced, which I think is a it's a welcome sight. I know your receivers are amazing. That they're yeah. not gonna they're not gonna not be featured. We know that. But I would love to see them maybe lean a little bit more on the run game, allow those big bodies up front to impose their will. Because let's be real, the offensive line's a question mark. And you look mm -hmm. at the pass rushers that Penn State has, the pass rushers that Michigan has, the pass rushers that you could see against Wisconsin. Uh, there's a lot of good guys that can get after the quarterback. And with ex inexperienced tackles, relatively speaking, that, that could be a concern. So maybe the more mobile option in Devin Brown to complement that run game could ultimately be where they go. Am I reading through the tea leaves appropriately? I, that's the, the way that I would look at it too. And I don't see why that would be such a bad thing. Ohio state has been a great passing offense. Historically, you mentioned the wide receivers there and Marvin Harrison jr. Who's an absolute alien and Mecca Buka, who <laughs> is a guy who's been really consistent. He's got speed. He can break away. Um, and then some young guys that are really rising up there. But when you have a quarterback that lacks the experience, of course you feel like you need to, lean on a run game, um, and there are probably four, maybe five running backs in that room that can go. Trey Henderson, I know a lot of people know, and Mayan Williams have been the guys, but Dallin Hayden I thought played really well. Yeah. Chip Trainum played well toward the end of the year. Evan Pryor's coming off injury. Nobody even talks about him nationally. The guy's ridiculous. Um, and, and 
quite frankly, when you're a quarterback who's mobile, you can cover up mistakes in the pass game too. Let's say one of those inexperienced offensive tackles um, gets behind a guy. You see a guy rushing all the way up the field. Well, now you have a guy who can step up and then he can escape either right or left and really extend a play. Something that becomes really attractive in that situation. And again, when you have wide receivers who you know are hard to cover, when you can extend the play, it becomes an impossible task there. So I lean toward the athleticism. I think it's where a lot of people are in this day and age of college football. It's not to say Kyle McCord isn't a good uh, good athlete, but Devin Brown has some some really, really good skills that pop off the screen there when you watch him. It's going to be fascinating to see how that thing unfolds. Uh, if I had to bet, I'd put a little money on both, but, man, the upside of Brown is really intriguing. Yeah. Let's move to the Jim Knowles side of the football. So many people because, you know, what have we done for me lately? <laughs> right? I mean, like, okay, last two games, not great. Uh, last three games, if you want to take into account yeah. the Maryland game as well, not great, right? Compared to what they were in, say, the first 10. So I, I actually came away from it, Josh, and I'd love to get your take. I thought year one under Jim Knowles was a success. I, I know it wasn't a the the greatest coaching job of all time, but there were in many there were many positive things to take away, and there were positive strides that were made, whether it's in the uh, against the run. What they did on third down, got off the field more than 30, 29% of the time they, they were allowing third down conversions. I mean, that's awesome. So there was a lot of positives to take away, but what can we expect here in year number two from Jim Knowles and that defensive group as a whole? Well, first, Greg, you know as well as I know that at certain places, just improving doesn't get the job done, right? Like, you, you know, everybody compares places like Ohio State and Alabama and what we're seeing out of Georgia and even Michigan's probably going to get there here soon um, to where, hey, you know, just because you, you took a step forward from where you were before doesn't mean that people are going to be satisfied because the expectation is you're going to win a championship and you're always going to beat your rival and all these different things. So I think from a football standpoint, absolutely, yes. Things got better there defensively. Uh, guys were a lot more aggressive. Uh, you could see that there was a, a want to and a will and a fight um, that I don't think necessarily was there. And that comes from a mentality of having an aggressive defense. I also think that you could see where guys looked like they were inexperienced in that system. It is aggressive. They play zero coverage. They play cover one. Like guys are on islands. And you could see where guys weren't fully comfortable being on an island or the blitzes weren't timed up or guys were missing gaps. And next thing you know, you get a play that's 88 and out the gate. I think that's where this defense needs to evolve this year is no no mistakes. You can't have the, the big mistake that kills you. And when you do have a mistake, you got to get a guy on the ground, right? Like you got to give yourself some real estate to play more football defensively. So as I look at it from a uh, from a talent standpoint and from a personnel standpoint, I think that they're there. Uh, JT Tuimolowau, I think, is All-American caliber, right? Jack Sawyer, I think, is a great player. Tommy Eichenberg has done a phenomenal job there at linebacker, and same thing with Steel Chambers. Um, you know, Kenyatta Jackson up front uh, is a guy who I think can rotate back in there. Uh, people haven't really seen him. He's got like true pass rusher length. I think he can be really good. Michael Hall on the interior. You get to the back end. They did a great job in the portal. Uh, Davison Igbenosin came from Ole Miss, and he's going to be really good. Yeah, Denzel Burke, who's been there for a little while. I look at the the personnel, and I think that everything is there. They've recruited like Ohio State should recruit, and I don't think some people believe that, but it's true. Now it's about execution. That's yeah. typically the hardest part, but if they can go out there and execute, I think this has a chance to be a really good unit. We'll spend a little less time on Michigan because there's just fewer questions. Uh, we kind of know who they are. 
They bring back 150 career starts along the <laughs> offensive line with some of their newcomers. Yeah. They bring back both running backs. They bring back yep. talented skill positions. Yes, you got to replace a tight end, but given how they've recruited that position and some of the guys waiting in the wings, they should, should feel yep. pretty good. J.J. McCarthy's back. Defensively, they bring back a lot of skill. Uh, maybe trying to find a couple Twitch guys on the edges, but man, they are they have them in numbers there. I mean, I, I'm trying to figure out what sinks the Michigan ship because I'm I'm having a I know I'm maybe I'm just a prisoner of the moment. I don't know what derails them this year in the Big Ten, knowing that they have the recipe against Ohio State. What should be keeping Michigan fans up at night? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, they're they're my preseason pick to win the Big Ten, and it's for all the reasons that you mentioned. I think they have so much coming back. It's ridiculous. Right. And they've created a culture and a mentality. Um, if I'm a Michigan fan, things I'm worried about. If for some reason you figure out how to stop the run, who are they throwing the ball to? Right. The wide receiver room does not make you that excited. And even though J.J. McCarthy had moments last year, too, he didn't drop back as much as other quarterbacks. Like, he didn't get all of the game reps. I think there's still a lack of polish to his game and some development that needs to go along. And you're you're going to be hoping that all of that happened in the offseason if you do get in a situation where it's throw the football to win the game there. Um, one of the weapons I do like, and you mentioned the tight end room, Colston Loveland, young yeah. tight end, really came on late in the year last year. I think he's got the the opportunity to become a Jake Butt type of player, All-American potential Mackey Award winner. That's how highly I think of him. But outside of that, not a lot of the guys to throw it to. On defense, I really do think that they're going to be solid. Um, but you mentioned the the edge rushers. And I think you could get in a situation where um, you, you might take a step back in production on sacks on the edge, or you might have a guy who's maybe inconsistent in the run game there. But I, I think that's going to be a really solid unit. I just I like the personnel. I like what they have returning. I like what they've built on that side of the ball. So not a lot of questions, to be completely honest about that team. Uh, it's right where Jim Harbaugh wants them. And uh, it's just going to be about for them, I think, mostly. And I've been in a situation where everything was laid out there and you got a lot of returning talent. Right. You don't beat yourself. Right. Like you don't you don't get in the way of your own team. And I think if they they stay out of their own way, it's going to be a special year. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. I, I think if you made a case for them to win the national championship, I would have a hard time pushing back on it. I really would, especially knowing the experience they return, third most experience, third most production returning in America. Let's move over to Penn State, who is almost, and I've said this a couple times, Joshua, I'd love to get your take on it. I get the sense that they're almost a year early. I mean, a lot of the guys that will be making impact plays for them, whether it's the dynamic duo at running back, whether it's Drew Aller, whether it's Carter on the defensive side. Right. A lot of these guys are are second-year players, whereas in 24, it feels like with the departures that Michigan will likely have, with the departures that Ohio State will have, it almost feels like 24 is the year for Penn State, and yet some people have them as a dark horse college football playoff contender. Can't push back on it. They're really good. But where should we be paying attention as it relates to Penn State to their inexperience, and should we be a little concerned, perhaps, with Drew Aller replacing an experienced Sean Clifford? Even though he's got higher ceiling, more potential, the lack of game reps is something, even though he's played 10 games, is something that I am still a little concerned about. So what about Penn State for you? Yeah, that's going to be the biggest question there. And, and you know, people in Happy Valley acted like Sean Clifford was, like, awful, and he won a ton of games, uh, and and I think he did a really good job of leading that team and uh, 
you know, when, when people were trying to blame him, he always took the blame and he always deferred to his teammates when it was time to give out credit. Um, I really appreciated the way that he played, but every, I think we all understand the upside for Aller. Um, it's it's going to be a learning curve. And, and I think in moments last year, he looked really good and he looked like a comfortable quarterback. Um, I think there were also moments last year where he looked inexperienced and he's going to look like that again this year. I think the thing that we don't understand about being a young quarterback sometimes is the mental fatigue that comes along with it. And you can yeah. probably talk about it as well as anybody. But, I mean, just the amount of looks that you see and, and you know, going through the huddle and making all the calls and the adjustments and everything else, that's something that he's going to have to power through as well. I think everything is is where they would like for it to be right now. Uh, talented quarterback, running back room is absolutely ridiculous. Offensive line is the best it's been in years. Probably a question at wide receiver, and I think that's going to be the biggest thing offensively for them. And then you like their defense and what they can provide. I think their secondary is going to be really good. I like what they have up front. Um, a lot of it is going to hinge on the quarterback, and there are people out there that think that Drew Aller is a guy who is worth two regular season wins, which would mean that they would beat Ohio State and Michigan and run the table in the regular season. If that's the case, he probably had a hell of a year. Um, I think it's probably somewhere in the idea of if you could get one of those two games and run the table everywhere else, that feels like a really successful year too. If they do come up short against Ohio State and Michigan, and I said even if they don't beat them this year, I can live with it. 10-2 and two, with two losses against those two teams, nothing to be disappointed in. Those two teams are ranked 2-3. and three. It's understandable. But if they get blown out, like they did against Michigan last year, that would maybe start to change my opinion of of what this team is potentially capable of. So I, I'm not I do not subscribe to the idea that you are what your record says you are. I think it just depends right. on the schedule you play. And if you lose to those two teams, there's no shame. But you need to lose a certain way if you are going to lose. And performances like the one against Michigan last year are completely inexcusable given the roster. So how do you what is success for Penn State this year? Yeah, I mean, that's it's a it's a great question because I, I tend to agree with you. If they were to lose both of those games, it's kind of what you're supposed to do. I also know that Penn State fans will, will pull out the stat. I think it's four and 14 that they would pull out, uh, you know, and, and it's against the best teams. Right. So I totally get it. Um if I were Penn State, how would I define success? Did your quarterback play well and did you protect him? Did you put him in a position to be successful? Did you play to your strengths? And so did you incorporate those running backs into the game plan? Did you see development of uh, the wide receivers over the year? Um, I think defensively, they should be a top two, top three unit in the in the conference. If they're not that, I feel like they fell short of the standard. Um, I think if they do most of those things, again, they have a shot to beat one of Ohio State or Michigan, potentially both of them. I don't think that they have to beat both of them either to say that it was a good year. And I go back to last year. Whenever I talk about this team, you win 10 games in the regular season, you win a Rose Bowl, and folks will act like it was an awful year because you lost to Ohio State and Michigan. I get the way they lost to Michigan. Those teams made the college football playoff. Ohio State was a field goal away from, from playing in a national title game that they probably would have won. Things were not that bad. Right. And it might be a similar thing this year, and it's not going to be that bad. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. 
Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. I'm with you. I, I think the Ohio State hate and heat that Ryan Day feels is, un, is unbelievable. I, don't, I just can't wrap my head around it. A team that I've been crazy high on has been Wisconsin, partly sure. because of their schedule. Let's just acknowledge it. They're favored in 11 of 12 games here in the preseason. Pretty good place to start. The one place they're not favored is against Ohio State at home at night. And yep. I think that's one they could get, especially if Ohio State's secondary perhaps maybe is still giving up big explosive plays like they did a year ago. So looking at Wisconsin, I and and I know a lot of people have called me insane and called me a badger homer. Fine, I don't care. I can live with that. Maybe I'm a fickle homer. I'm good with that as well. But I feel like they fall very much in line with the TCU standard from a year ago where you had a regime for a very, very long period of time. They won a lot of games. They established a proud culture, but things at the end got a little bit stale. In comes a new coach, knows what he's doing, injects enthusiasm, injects life into the offensive side of the football, and next thing you know, they take off. So I am one that is kind of thinking 10 wins for the Badgers this year, and it would not surprise me at all if this was maybe the most competitive Big Ten championship game in recent history, because it just hasn't been, let's just call it what it is. So is Wisconsin with Luke Fickle and the additions they made in the portal and the new offensive identity, are they ready to be a challenger to whoever comes out of the East? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be a Luke Fickle homer. Uh, I played for him at Ohio State. He's my defensive coordinator. I spent four years with him. Um, he, I just got to say this. He's one of the, the all-time great guys that I've yeah. ever known in this sport. And um, he, he was willing to give me, when I left the NFL, opportunities that I probably wasn't ready for just to make sure that I was all good to go. Um, so I, I'm going to do my job properly, and I'm going to be critical where I need to be critical, but everybody needs to know Luke Fickle great guy. Um, the team shapes up. I think that he took the roster over in a really good spot. People had this idea that Wisconsin's roster was much worse than it had typically been. And I don't buy into that. I think yeah. it was a pretty typical Wisconsin roster. He gets that. Then he makes additions. You mentioned bringing in Phil Longo. And I think people need to understand this about their offensive identity. Are they going to throw the football more? Yes. Are they going to use more of the football field? Yes. Are they still going to run the piss out of the ball? Absolutely. And that's what Wisconsin does. And they have the personnel for it and they should do it. Um, but they're going to do it in a different way. And then I think from a defensive standpoint, Luke Fickle is going to have that side of the ball ready to rock and roll. So as I look at it, nine, 10 wins, I think is reasonable for this team. Luke Fickle is going to bring an edge to them too, that I think that they lacked. And I had been in that facility um, last year on a couple of occasions when I was calling games and it, it felt like it, it didn't have 
a hard edge. And it's not to say that it was a soft program, but things just felt like they they happened and that was it. And now everything is done so intentionally there. And I think that helps to flip things around too. Um, so the West typically wide open. I think it's pretty wide open again this year. But if you could tell me that there's a team that could separate and uh, uh, it's it's sitting there in Madison, Wisconsin, I would agree with you. I, I have, and we'll get you out of here with this, just, just a final takeaway. Here's the tiers I have in the Big Ten. You have the elites, Michigan, Ohio State, if that requires a lot of conversation, then we're wasting our time. Well, you know, I don't feel like we need to explain ourselves there, but if I need to, maybe we can do so on a later episode. Then I have the dangerous. That's Penn State. That's Wisconsin. And in the middle tier, which I think is as deep a middle tier as there is in the sport of Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, Maryland, I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping Michigan State's there. Just too difficult to project right now. Perhaps in Illinois, if their defense yep. continues and their offense maybe slightly improves, I feel like the middle tier is six or seven deep, and I'm not sure what the pecking order is going to be amongst those six or seven. I know the top four, but when you look at five through say twelve, I really have no idea how they're going to finish out. Who's the team in that middle tier? that we should be paying the closest attention to. Yeah. Um, I mean, you mentioned Maryland. It's an interesting case study there. I mean, as long as divisions have, have been there, they were going to struggle. Um, but specifically this year where Ohio state, Michigan, Penn state, three of the top seven teams in the country. And I think Maryland was good last year and they pushed Ohio state and they pushed Michigan. I think they have a chance to do it again this year. It's just so unlikely. Uh, but Mike Loxley said, this is a year they feel like they can compete for a Big Ten championship. And who am I to argue with him? I like what his team has there. Um, as you start to go down, you had mentioned a team in Illinois. And I got out to training camp and I watched them practice a couple weekends ago. And they are a team that intrigues me because they're losing so much offensively. Where you had Chase Brown, who was right. running the ball like a maniac and uh, you had DeVito back there playing quarterback, and I know he had that veteran presence. And then you look at the defense and some of the losses there, particularly in the secondary. But Brett Bielema, he has recruited really good length, and that can cover up for mistakes. And I like how that helps him on defense. I also think that he had more depth in that running back room once he got some guys back from injury than people ever really knew about. And they got Luke Altmaier. He's going to be kind of the key cog there. But one team that I have a lot of curiosity about, and I think could make a push is Nebraska. And I know people have talked about Matt Rule's squad and what what they can do. When I saw Trev Alberts, the AD at Nebraska at Big Ten Media Days, he told me this one thing, and I think it should resonate with a lot of people. I'm under the impression, this is me talking right now, I'm under the impression that your roster was not in as bad of a position as people like to make it yeah. and that your guys just didn't get the job done. He says back to me, Matt Rule comes in and he shows them a cut up of all the critical plays that lost some football games. We talk about the one score games for Nebraska, right? Showed the guys a cut up right on the way in and says, if we can get over a mental hurdle, if we can get ourselves right mentally, we can win twice as many football games right off the bat. Maybe even more than that. I don't know. I don't know if they can get it done, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I look at the West and it just feels like you cannot call some of these games. And I, I just have the feeling that they're going to pull off a couple of games that they shouldn't be hard to push back on that. Matt rule has been a builder 
it hasn't happened in his career at both Temple and Baylor in year one, but the situations right. he walked into at Temple and Baylor are completely different than the one he walks into at Nebraska, where you're right. I mean, there were so many games that were on their racket and they just completely wet the bed. <laughs> it's like yeah. whether it's poise it or confidence or critical down and distant understanding the importance of focus in those situations. It's like they just they would just crumble. So an, a new leader, a new voice, uh, a guy that's, that also is pretty even-keeled, intense, yeah. but low-key, I, I, love, I love the hire. I just absolutely love it. I think they're going to win a ton of football games. Maybe not this year, but I'd be surprised if they don't get to seven or eight this year. I really would. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just too I'm, – I'm a Luke Fickle and Matt Rule homer. That's, that's I think, what's yeah. going on. That's the deal. There's no problem with that. That's perfectly fine. <laughs> it's a good place to start. Josh, great conversation as always, my friend. We can't wait to see you on NBC on Saturday nights. I know you guys and the team are going to do an amazing job. We can't wait to watch those games, and, and we look forward to seeing you on Peacock and then, of course, watching you know, all the time on the rally as well. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Moving over now to our mailbag where we get to interact with y'all and we so appreciate those times when you guys send in these awesome questions. You guys are passionate about the sport like I am. And I'd be, I mean, I'm honestly shocked at some of the, some of the messages we receive and how many times I'm like, man, that's a great idea. <laughs> I really like that. You know, So I'm reading through stuff and I'm getting as much from you as you are hopefully getting from the show. So please continue to subscribe to our social media at Always CFB. That's on X slash Twitter and on Instagram. You can submit questions there or you can email the show alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. Keep them coming. We don't skip any of them. And if we haven't responded to you in writing, it means it's going to be on the show. So just hang in there and we very much appreciate your continued support and your continued contributions to the show. So Coops, where are we going? All right. First question today comes from Tim in Florida. Stuart Mandel just wrote an article about the possibility of college football turning into something similar to the EPL. Basically, there would be roughly 28 teams and conferences would be gone. Do you think this is a realistic possibility in the next five to 10 years? We'll start with the answer to the question. No, I don't think it's a possibility. Should it be a possibility is probably a better question, right? Should it be something that is a that we look at down the road in order to keep some regionality, in order to keep some of the alignment? Probably would be beneficial in some cases. 
especially once we figure out, all right, how is the Big Ten going to work out? Are the are the West Coast teams at a disadvantage because of the traveling challenges that they have and traveling multiple time zones and and all those other things? We'll learn some from the Big Twelve this year. You have BYU and UCF in the same league. That's a that's a significant challenge to get from one place to the other. Either way, it's not going to happen because there's value in the conference itself. The SEC is a valuable brand. The Big Ten is a valuable brand. Those are valuable. I think the Big 12 is a valuable brand. So I think there is value in keeping the status quo there. But there was some conversation, if you talk to some people that were familiar with what was going on behind the scenes in college football three, four years ago, there was a little bit of a fear amongst the NCAA and some of the people at the highest levels of the sport that schools might strongly consider going independent, meaning Notre Dame kind of had a blueprint and everyone was looking at Notre Dame and saying, man, that that's working. That's, that's a pretty good setup. They get to make their own schedule. They get to figure out their own television deal. They don't have to operate or share revenues with anybody. So there was a benefit to being an independent if you are a program that is on the same level as Notre Dame. Now, there aren't many that are up there with the Irish, the Ohio States, the Michigans, the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Floridas, the Texases, the Oklahomas, the USC's. There's probably 10 to 12 that are comparable as far as fan base size and their ability to create revenue for themselves. Texas A&M. I can't mention Texas without mentioning Texas A&M because I know how our Aggie friends will feel if I say one and not the other. We know you make a lot of money in Aggieland. All right, I understand that. So there was a little bit of a fear, I think, amongst some, even though most won't say it, that if Texas and Oklahoma didn't join the SEC, they might ultimately go independent and then... In success, they could approach schools like USC. They could approach UCLA. They could approach Georgia. They could approach Florida, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, and create their own coalition of independent schools that would basically operate independent of any rules or regulations within the conference. There was a little bit of a fear of that. I think that's gone by the wayside because these grant of rights, just ask Florida State, are pretty strong. So I don't envision it going into that direction at, at any point in the near future. But I do think we will get to a point, not 5 to 10, which was the question. I do think 20 to 30, where it does have a very professional feel to the sport. Meaning... Everyone's kind of playing everyone. The top schools have already separated themselves. And when I say top schools, I'm talking maybe the top 50, top 55, top 60. They're having their own playoff. They're playing exclusively against each other in what is a uniformed schedule. So it's easy to digest. You know who you're going to play based on how you finished the year before. I could see them adopting an NFL style as it relates to the scheduling process. And then I think the playoff could expand further. So all those things, I think, are realistic possibilities way on down the road. But we're talking a couple decades in the bare minimum. 
All right, next question comes from Rich in Wisconsin. Who are the running backs that we need to know about in college football this year? There are so many good ones. I mean, I actually worked on a show a couple days ago at ESPN with Sam Acho, and we were tasked with putting together our top five players at every position. Fortunately for me, I didn't have a running back. I had wide receiver, which might have been even more difficult. I had quarterbacks. He had transfer quarterbacks, and he had running backs. There are so many good backs in college football right now. It's almost absurd just how many quality pieces there are. And he went through the five, and it's it's the obvious, right? Braylon Allen, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, uh, Quinshawn Judkins, Rocket Sanders. Those are the five that that he picked. It wasn't in that order, but those were those were basically the five guys that that he had pulled as his top five. And then we started continuing on. What about a, a Marshawn Lloyd who's transferred that now in the USC offense might be an unbelievable player there in that system, standing next to who he was standing next to. What about Carson Steele last year, who at Ball State was sensational. Now he had had over, by the way, over 1,500 yards last year. Now he's at UCLA, a really impressive offense that's going to be able to churn out a lot of numbers. You look at what Zach Charbonnet had the last couple of years. I mean, he's going to get some opportunities to do a lot of really nice things. You look at... Brian Beatty and and what he might do transferring up to Auburn to kind of help out with with Jarquez Hunter, depending on if Jarquez Hunter misses a little time with Auburn. There's going to be a guy that emerges at LSU. There's going to be a guy that emerges at Georgia. At least one would assume. There are so many good backs in college football right now. Alabama has two or three that can go. Jam Miller's a name that nobody's saying, but you heard it here. Jam Miller is going to be a household name in the Southeastern Conference when we fast forward to the end of the season. So Trey Benson at Florida State. I know I just listed like 100, okay? Henry Parrish at Miami, a guy that I really like. You're already hearing about the backup at Miami making some noise. The the running back position and the the receivers, the amount of quality, game-changing wide receivers has never been better in college football than it is right now. I really believe that. I mean, you can go 25 deep and say, man, that guy's a guy. I mean, places at at Western Kentucky's got guys. Uh, You know, we know that the power five, they're they're littered throughout, but the group of five has a ton of dynamic playmakers as well that can be excellent contributors in the passing game. But running back, you would think now as we, you got to think about, high school culture, seven-on-seven culture, there's going to be a lot of receivers and quarterbacks that are developed because guys are now playing college football or playing high school football year-round because of seven-on-seven. You're playing seven-on-seven in the spring. You're playing seven-on-seven in the summer. You never stop. So quarterbacks and wide receivers are going to have accelerated development. But what you're also going to have as a result of seven-on-seven culture, you're going to have running backs that are not just between the tackles, first and second down, three yards in the cloud of dust power guys. You're going to have guys that can contribute in the passing game. And if I can find a three down back, a guy that can play on first, second, and third down and be as capable at wide receiver, perhaps, as he is at running back, 
then that only makes me more difficult as an offense to stop because I have a versatile playmaker in the backfield. Look at AM. Anaya Smith plays wide receiver, but he's been taking some reps at running back throughout fall camp. Why? Because it gives you incredible position versatility. What do you match him up with? Is it a linebacker? Because he can run it down your throat. Or is it a safety? Because he can beat your linebacker in coverage. So I think the, and I'm sure there's a few that I'm missing. Ray Davis, who's transferring. Uh, Bucky Irving at Oregon. I mean, there's so many guys that I'm probably not even listed right now. But know that that Will Shipley at Clemson, and they just keep popping into my brain, I might add. But there are so many guys at that position that can really make life difficult for you. Not just as a runner, but as a pass catcher as well. And then you still have some of the old school there's still some guys that are going to just mow you down at 235, 240 pounds, like Audric Estime at Notre Dame, that are going to make life really difficult. If you want to get into little personnel and you want to have an extra defensive back on the field to account for the passing game that Sam Hartman's going to use, guess what? Audric Estime against your 185-pound nickel corner, that's a problem for the defense. So, the, the amount of variation that we see in college football, the amount of running back by committee approaches doesn't take away from the excellence that's at the position. So I think it's really deep. I think it's really strong. And it's kind of in line with all the strength we've seen in all the other weapons and skill positions that we've seen in college football the last couple of years. Thanks for being with us. We have so appreciated all of you that have come to us from wherever it is you're coming to us from, whether it's the ESPN YouTube channel, hit that thumbs up button before you log out. Or if you're here with us via the podcast, continue to like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out and it helps the show out tremendously. We so appreciate you. And guys, we're eight days away. Hang in there. We're almost there. One more Saturday before college football season officially gets underway. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Jack, Jake, Mark, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.